Good afternoon, and you're very welcome to local media this week. Uh, a week on from Easter Sunday, I hope uh, the boys are in championship form now and uh, have all the chocolate eaten. Uh, Jim is uh, on a little extended break, so I, I'm, I'm back to uh, fill in his, his uh, <laughs> shoes or try, trying to uh, make sure I can keep tabs on the three people in front of me around the table. John S., good afternoon. Good afternoon, Luke. Uh, Pat O'Brien. Good afternoon, Luke. And David. Hello, Luke. How are, how are you all doing? So, I do hope things are well and good. Now, we have lots... Did you eat a lot of chocolate over Easter? Uh, not yet, unfortunately, <laughs> but I'm trying to make up for it next week. <laughs> so I'm not uh, in touch with the Times as much as I should be. Uh, now, we have a lot to cover in the papers this week, a uh, yeah. lot in the papers, and uh, we're going to start... Uh, with a few serious topics and then hopefully uh, at the end of part one we might go horsing around with a, a little bit more light-hearted. But on page one of the Echo and page three of the Clare Champion, uh, East Clare, uh, uh, say representative who is a senator, Timmy Dooley of Fianna Fáil, is in the papers. And John, would you like to comment? Well, uh, Timmy basically went back to Ukraine last week. He did. Um, and he writes a report on his experiences. In the, Clare, in the Clare Echo, in yes. In the Clare Echo. It's a very, very good piece of journalism. Uh, and when you think about Timmy, you think of East Clare, and you think of Southern On, which is up above Mount Shannon, and it's a far cry from what he was witnessing out there. It's, it's quite shocking, David, isn't it? I mean... Yeah, and he, he writes very well, I have to say. He does, um, yeah. he, he, was, he was commissioned, I suppose we'd say commissioned or asked by the Clare Echo to, to report yes. uh, yeah. from, from Ukraine. And um, uh, the headlines are, in both papers actually, uh, we saw blood-stained cars riddled with bullets. The same headline in both papers. And yeah. uh, I mean, he he he. You captured the scene. He has. I'll give you a taste of it. Will I? Yeah. When we reached the Polish border, we drove two hours to the city of Liev, followed by a ten-hour. And remember now, Liev was bombed, was uh, was attacked uh, with missiles over the last few days. And that's the city in the western part of the country where a lot of refugees. Are, it's the that's last point of Ukraine before they go into the yeah. rest of Europe. So it's, it's not necessarily a safe haven either, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But anyway, he went to Liev, followed by a 10-hour train journey. I mean, Ukraine is a massive country, bigger than France, I think. Um, in Kiev, we met with my good friend, Ukrainian Deputy Prime Minister, Olga uh, Stefan Ishna. I've known Olga for a number of years, but have been in very regular contact in the lead up to the invasion. Deputy Prime Minister Stefanisha was very keen to stress her appreciation and thanks for the hospitable and humane welcome given to Ukrainian refugees uh, in Clare. And he went on then, uh, he saw Bucha, where the mass graves have been found, and, um, and in Irpin. And he says, homes shelled, and when they attempted to flee, they were shot senselessly as they ran from their homes by Russian forces. Those who managed to get to their cars were assassinated at point-blank range. We saw blood-stained cars riddled with bullets, and the dead bodies had been temporarily buried by the local priest 
in an effort to prevent the spread of disease and the further mutilation of the dead. So pretty harrowing stuff, really. Awful. And now you're, I mean, you're a historian. You have researched and written about many wars in mm. previous centuries. Ever feel that you came across anything like what Timmy was witnessing? Modern warfare is, is brutal, and the big difference, and this is where I, he does make a reference to what was happening in this country 100 years ago, which I think was not the right thing to say, because modern warfare targets civilians to create terror. Yes. In the past, even though civilians might have been caught up in the war, they were generally not targeted. Um, it was generally warfare between soldiers. In our yeah. own case, it was a guerrilla-type warfare. Yeah. So, you know, this, this attacking of civilians that the Russians are doing um, is, is a relatively newish thing in, in the scheme of things. Do you, have you ever been uh, to Arador in France, north of Limoges? And um, the retreating uh, German army, okay, uh, took it out on the village of Orador mm -hmm. and the, everybody, the men were brought into the church and the church was set on fire. Mm -hmm. The women were shot, the children were shot and the French government decided uh, at the conclusion of the war they would not clean it up. It's left there as a monument, mm -hmm. Orador. Mm -hmm. Now we visited it, it uh, on a camping holiday and it was a style of interaction which the Germans had, and you'd hardly cover it. They hardly cover themselves in glory. Yeah. And yeah okay. Yeah. And that I was mean, 1945. That, the First War and the Second World War are the start of when civilians get it. Yeah. The Second World War, in particular, because of aerial bombardment. Yeah. Now, of course, it's missiles. Hmm. And yeah, missiles can be fired from ships in the Black Sea but I, I, or I in think the Russian South. With the sort of both Iraq wars, I think you could sort of describe the great line that was given out collateral damage. Yes. Collateral damage. Yes. Yeah. Euphemism. You know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know. Anyway, listen, we could talk about Ukraine for an awful long time. Yeah. But the Prime Minister uh, was in Shannon. And uh, if we go back to the politics side of things, uh, it's on page one of the uh, champion. Owen Ryan has an article there in relation to it. Ukrainian Prime Minister uh, Denis Shamal, uh, pardon my pronunciation, was at Shannon Airport on Wednesday afternoon where he met Taoiseach Michal Martin for approximately an hour and a half, informing him that Russia is deliberately targeting the country's grain stock, something that could potentially create a, a global food crisis. And uh, he stopped at Shannon while en route to Washington, where he's due to meet with representatives of political and financial institutions. Yeah. I, I just see anecdotally that a few of our local politicians weren't best impressed that they weren't informed of the visit. Well, now, if you were a local politician, you might be a bit upset too, wouldn't you? Uh, I'll silence. Uh, the Ukrainians... <laughs> Possibly, but of course, they, they, they might have some reason for that, for that advertising earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like these, these, these are no times to be trying social, to, trying to get a chat. photograph yeah, with the Ukrainian Prime Minister. No. Like, Timmy could be accused of that sort of thing too, but on balance, I think he is, he has, these, these are our European partners and he is of the same political party within Europe. Right. So he has kind of a, a justification for being there. And yeah. it does bring home to us, I think, when we when we hear politicians like him um, 
Yeah, well, and you think uh, of the people in Nistunvarna in Ennis who are Ukrainian who may be reading about this. Yeah, and I think it's something yeah. that we here in East Clare aren't fully aware of the effect of on the ground because in general we have not seen an influx of Ukrainian refugees to East Clare. No. There are plenty in North and West Clare, right. but we have not seen it Can here. Can you explain that in any way, Luke? I suppose that most accommodation was back there, and, and, and in the, I'd say not on, on the table, not there, where the Sundana had some people from, you know, they had, they had uh, asylum seekers in the hotel there, and they used to, used to, uh, you know, cater them for. Yeah. Yeah. We, we do give out about the lack of accommodation for tourists in East Clare, John. So I think he said if we don't physically have the accommodation, I said I know there are a number of uh, hotels up in North Clare that uh, have, yeah. uh, you know, capacity, been, yeah. capacity and have taken the people in, and there's yeah. a few in around Dennis as well. There's a lovely picture there beside Timmy uh, of, of, of the kids and of the Ukrainian kids in Eastern Clare. And they're in the Hyde Hotel and they'll be handed out uh, Easter rates. Yes. Uh, it's on page 19 of the book. Yes. And um, they're, all, they're all getting Easter eggs. And, and they're happy looking, aren't they? Yeah. 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 You yeah. Know, so uh, I suppose it's something maybe as time moves on, maybe there may be but one yeah, or two things. Well, uh, uh, if you go to the North Clare page here, the, the, uh, there's just a small detail about Ukrainians, very, 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 and then there is the story there. The translator Nadia, assisting the relief efforts, she has more than prepared. She, she was more than prepared for a bunk bed in a gym. That she was, you know, that she was prepared for to but she said the accommodation was in very, well, very good. Could, could I just, I know we were might, might have been saving this, but now might be the time, uh, rather than the second half, just in answer to John's question, that even though we don't have the hotels, there are one or two individuals who are um, trying to provide accommodation to a limited extent in East Clare. And one of them is on page 16 of the Champion, somebody called Dee Dee Driscoll from Whitegate, uh, who is planning to open up her farm uh, to Ukrainians. I don't know how many, it doesn't say, I don't think how many, but she's having a fundraising event on the 28th, Thursday the 28th, um, to raise money in order for her to produce, I suppose, some of the yeah. uh, accommodation. So I suppose in some respects there are attempts, like I don't know of anybody um, in the area where Ukrainians have been housed. Now there might be. Now we learned, interna well, yeah. we learned nationally that 50% of the offers have, of have, accommodation have are withdrawn. The flagmount, I, flagmount has, has uh, a in Fremont, yes, yeah. family. And right. Kathleen uh, McNamara mm -hmm. and Pat and Ger and yeah. our own people, mm -hmm. are, are leading the van there. Oh, and good. and, good. and uh, she was at the cabaret. They brought her uh, to the cabaret on Saturday night. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the MC made reference to her presence and welcome and all of that. There was a thundering, thunderous, Applause, you know, far cry from what we were talking about earlier in relation to Timmy's visit to, mm -hmm. yeah. to um, Ukraine. Yeah, there's a few, a few families, a couple of families I think over in Florida and in the kitchen. Are there? There's a couple of others in Kitchener, in the in one of the hotels in Kitchener. Yeah. So was, yeah. I, I'm sure as time moves on and more come in, yeah. you know, hopefully yeah. we, we'll see that the system develops. Right now. The, 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 um, 
and your places will, um, David, and um, the universities, I think, the university. the those I heard this morning. Combination when the, when the students move That's over. right. So, f practically, f in the next two or three weeks, there'll be a couple of thousand spaces in the university free uh, when the students leave. And um, so... Are we talking about accommodation? Accommodation. Accommodation, yeah. And so at the moment they have just opened the Mill Street Arena as a sort of a temporary holding point for two to three weeks. And you can imagine, right, that is a very large open space, no privacy. Yeah. And they're hoping then the universities around the country will have student accommodation, which at least you have your own room. You might have a shared kitchen with six other people or whatever. Um, um, but, but that's possible. John, uh, we were just speaking beforehand that, uh, in fact, the, this, we've seen this before, haven't we, in the 1950s and the yeah. 1960s? I was 16 years of age, 1956, and uh, mum and dad were living in Limerick, so it was just down the road to Nakhmelishin, and uh, they were catering for the Hungarian refugees that came. And... Um, and how were they accommodated? They, I, as far as I can remember, bear in mind I was a very young chap at the time, uh, do you remember the timber uh, army billets mm. down in Lehinch? They're gone now, I think, but they were there beside the golf course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. There was a, quite a number of those in Nachtanishin. And I think that's where they were. Yeah. I mean, that's another possibility. The, the prefabricated units that you yeah. often see around schools yeah. mm -hmm. could be brought to bear which, if the crisis... Which you would imagine, David, will say the facilities at the universities, and I presume yeah. Limerick won't be the only one. No. Uh, but that's only going to be short term. That's only going, going yeah. to be the summer yeah. until Yeah, August. exactly. Right. We're moving on. Okay. And... We're, we're moving to one of our favourite topics that we like to discuss. But I, I tell you, before, before we do that, um, on page five of The Champion, he led the way tributes paid on passing a former county manager. Joe Boland passed away at 100 years of age. And John... Page five, is it? It's page five of The Champion. Yeah, uh, it was on uh, The Champion. On the eighth was uh, yeah. yeah, and it says, um, Lissy Casey's PJ Kelly has been a county councillor since 1974, and for the first nine years of his career, he dealt on a regular basis with Mr. Boland, who he said had been responsible for several great innovations which improved the quality of life for many in County Clare. Hmm. John? I remember Joe Boland. Um, a native of Bally Longford and County Kerry. Indeed. Joe would, for me, be best described as the kind of man that belonged to the fraternity from which um, the founder of the Duty Free in Shannon, Brendan O'Regan. An extraordinary type of man. You knew Joe Boland, no matter who you were out, the, out in the county. Do you know? If you're involved at all in any class of a committee, be quite sure you've met Joe and you'll be proud of it. He was hugely tuned in uh, to development of the community mm. and uh, initiatives were I can recall initiatives that uh, stemmed from from Joe uh, which put a few bob into committees we were involved in out here in East Clare mm. he was he was a visionary he was entrepreneurial they, they stand out <coughs> and he was a very humane individual mm. and that's the picture I have in my mind of mm. Joe Boland who died at the age of a hundred last week mm. 
Yeah, certainly in the the articles uh, that are in both papers, uh, I was in the, I'm just looking at Owen Ryan's article in the Champion. It says in an online online tribute on RIP.ie, former Clare Champion journalist Tony Mulvey and his wife said he'd made a major contribution to preserving access to the cliffs of Moher. Oh, I said, yeah. when a German businessman was about to buy land in the vicinity of the cliffs in 1964, Joe moved quickly to acquire some of the property close to the cliffs for Clare County Council, thus making sure that people would continue to be able to visit the world-famous attraction. David was involved more recently in an aspect of that in terms of the O'Brien yeah. Tower. Isn't that right? That's right, yeah. There's a, on the way up to the cliffs, there is a, a, a column much like the Daniel O'Connell column in Ennis, yeah. the town centre, and uh, that O'Brien actually was the first in the 19th century to facilitate, uh, like just what you're talking about there, Luke, um, Mr. Boland's efforts to open it up to visitors. O'Brien was the very first person, because it was his land, to open it up to visitors and to provide facilities. Which O'Brien was it? Um, his first name was. I'm putting you on the was side. it Drummond and O'Brien? No, no, they were different O'Briens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have lots of O'Briens in East Clare as well, John. So, <laughs> we'll, so, so I'll try and dig David out of that hole, and we'll carry, we'll carry on. Now, Cornelius O'Brien. Mo move, moving, moving across the page to page four. Uh, well, we say we'll, after our sympathies, uh, we'll say to uh, Joe's family, and may he rest in peace. We, we come to one of our favourite topics, Shannon. Okay, and uh, Owen Ryan has uh, one article, Call to Ditch Dublin-Centric Policy. Chamber says DAA should divert traffic to the regions. Owen Ryan, uh, sorry, Fiona McGarry has used Wild Atlantic Way to market the airport. And then Owen Ryan, again, has Shannon Airport allocated 4.3 million, and then with the promise of more to come. That's lovely. <laughs> now, yeah. Pat, your thoughts. Well, sure, yeah, it's great that the, uh, actually all the, all the regional airports have, have received money. Um, Cork got some as well, and uh, Knock and um, Kerry. And Donegal, and yeah. So, it was it, How much did we get, Pat? It's good for me. 4.347,750. Shannon got 4.3. Shannon got 4.3. Cork got 4.7. Well, yeah, Cork got it again. No, I to say. Yeah, well, of course, they have, they have, they have, they have, they have the T-shirt down there, and they have the minister for... Foreign Affairs? Foreign Affairs. They have the cabinet down there, haven't they? They the money, yeah. From Affairs, man. So, but you know, they should be all into it. But surely, gentlemen, the problem, as I've always said, is we have too many airports in this country. I didn't even know we had an airport in Donegal. Why are we putting money into an airport in Donegal? I think there's an airport in Derry as well. They said that about the West Clare Railway. Do you know that? And look at where that, that book, is that, now. That book you gave me last, <laughs> last week, uh, okay, that disturbed, my, it disturbed my sleep. And I mean, seriously, the objections were, were coming. It's as if any step forward is going to be met with an uppercut, you know? <laughs> so you'll have to have a McGregor response. Yeah, yeah. To, to but survive. listen, the, the, the problem is demography to a certain extent. The West, the West of the country doesn't have the population to sustain all the airports. It might have been all right if there's only one airport in Shannon, but um, airlines will not, will, will not waste their time coming to any one of the regional airports when they have a massive population in the eastern part of the country. And they spend three, three and a half hours 
to be uh, up yeah. there before you fly out, for God's sake. Yeah, but David, I, I will make the point to you, which I've made previously. <laughs> you look at the amount of buses that are travelling from yeah. Galway, and Clare, from Limerick, yeah. and Clare, yeah. to Cork and Dublin, yeah. bringing people to the airport. But by itself, even if you were to, if, even if you were to put that facility in, in, in Shannon, let's say a flight to, and by the way, there is a little brochure in the, which newspaper was it? Was it the Champion? Champion yeah. uh, with flyshannon.ie, holidays made for you, with a very useful map with the year-round destinations, the summer destinations, and the winter destinations. But if you were, if, if you were to take a Dublin-only flight and put it into Shannon, you'd still have more people in the Dublin, Leinster, Ulster area who will come to, to Dublin than they would to Shannon. You will have the bus load that is going to Dublin, yes, who will fly out, but that is not still economical from an airline's point of view, Luke, I'd say. No, but if, if, you, if you had a better choice of flight, are more flights going from Shannon versus Dublin, up as far as Port Leash? Yeah. Right? yeah. You will come to Shannon. For us, it's, of course it's a no-brainer, because we live here. No, but I, I'm talking, David, about people further up the country. I'm not talking about the people living in Clare and Galway and Kerry. I'm talking about up as far as Port Leash. Because if you're in Port Leash, you're at least an hour to get to Dublin. If you're in Port Leash, an hour and five, ten minutes will have you in Shannon. Yeah. It'll have you on board the, on board the flight. Yeah. Yeah. It'll have you better yeah. facilities, yeah. No, no crap going through you know, security or anything yeah. else like but that. He, Plenty he, of parking. He, he, but there's nearly a quarter of the population. Yeah. yeah. You don't have in, any problem. In the Dublin, in Dublin city alone. Pardon? There's a f I think it's a fifth of the population of the island is in Dublin alone. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, Something like that. It's an enormous population yeah. base. Which is a huge amount of people from the country as well. They'll get into the car and they'll go to Dublin. Yeah. Why, 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 why couldn't they come down and go from Shannon? There's, yeah. a, there's a big sweep from all around Galway. You've all, 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 all in Nottip area, all Nottip. Yeah. You've up in Taffley, maybe part of Leash, all down around. Loyalty. Are you making an appeal to the public of, of County Clare Limerick, particularly, and South Galway? For God's sake, if you don't use our airport, we lose it, like we well, say. But listen, the John, they are Sorry. probably using Shannon. If I want to go, listen, I'm not going to go to Dublin to fly to Malta when I can go to Shannon. But I'm going to have to go to Dublin if, I'm, if Shannon isn't going to be a possibility for me. I, I'll, I'll put this one to you, David. I have people I know that fly to Lanzarote on a regular basis, yeah. and they fly to Dublin because the flights from Shannon don't suit them. Mm. No. Well, now, that's another issue, yeah, isn't no, it? No, they live in Limerick, and there's no excuse for yeah, that. There's no excuse. Now, John, what you need to be saying to those people is support the airport, yeah. even though the, the times might not suit you. Yeah. But unfortunately, if you have young families and all of this... Um, that is yeah. all part of the story. Likewise, as we've said before, easy connections from the city, as we're calling it, as I'm going to call it in the future now, the Limerick-Shannon Airport. There needs to be an easy connection, a train Dave, connection. David, I know you're <laughs> a park man, but you live in Clare. Uh, are we having, so you are need we to be careful. a discussion on that, Luke? <laughs> I, I, I think he needs to be careful. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I said, no, but it's rebranding. The, 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 the Wild Atlantic Way Airport, I wouldn't have as much of an issue with. But, uh, yeah, I think to do with Limerick, I'm afraid I do. <laughs> I think he's got taken wild yeah. to an extent. Exactly. Now, uh, we, we, we'll move on from Shannon to another topic that we, we uh, yeah. talk about. And page one of the champion, regulator identifies guideline breaches in draft county plan. And I say our own Fiona McGarry. Uh, writes, far-reaching adjustments to the forthcoming development plan for Clare have been recommended 
and it's by the state's planning watchdog. Yeah. Now, John. I tell you, I'm reading a paragraph out of it which encapsulates the, um, the whole problem. This is, after examining the draft plan for 2023 to 29, the Office of the Planning Regulator, OPR for short, has told the County Council it is in breach of a number of national and regional guidelines. Now, lads, there you are. This is an example of the fellas in Dublin telling us yeah, that yeah. we're doing it wrong, John. It is, in, it, it, it is indeed. Whereas the council were telling us that the reason they were doing it is because this is what the crowd in Dublin were telling us. But to the do. crowd in Dublin said it a little previous. We were, we were talking, you see, about what population can we expect in Newmarket and Fergus? What population can we expect out? We'll drive them like, her, like cows on the road to a fair, you know? Well, I, we'll I, be driving them to the villages. <coughs> You're getting uh, 200, okay? This is the villages that can't get, uh, that the council won't allow them to build houses because they don't have a sewer scheme. Exactly. Which goes back to Irish water. But John, I'll ask you a slightly off topic question. You talk about population. Yeah. Did you get your census form? No. It is a source of immense disappointment. <laughs> That in this year, what year are we in? 2022. 2,200 yeah. years after the Romans were able to organise a census <laughs> in, in the Holy Land. And remember we Joseph, though, John, do you remember Joseph had to travel to his home, his, his tribal home? So maybe you'll have to travel to Dublin. Oh, well, no, that's pushing it a bit. Or Roscommon. Yeah. No, no, keep it serious. I mean, it's all right for you guys who, who filled the census form and, and dispatched it. You know, we are we in Fossilbake and other parts of East Clare are still waiting for the flipping census form. It's, su it's such it a wild part of the country, ridiculous. John. The enumerators are afraid to go in there <laughs> to see what they might get. <laughs> but in all, I won't grace that. No, but in, in all seriousness, maybe, yeah. maybe they maybe they got to be the most common in Yeah, it might have been dropped in by drone. But uh, I, I, it raises a serious point. Some of these statistics and things that these planners and all these bodies do are based upon population. Absolutely. And trying. So if there is not an accurate count count of the population, uh, we'll say in Fossil Bay, yeah. uh, which you know, years. Yeah. over the next number of years, that is going to feed into some of this yeah. stuff. But yeah. but you 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 were talking about the regulator anyway. Yeah, look. Just, uh, just to finish on that, that particular aspect of, that you raised there. We have at the end of the table a historian who frequently has to refer to census in order to uh, elaborate on a story. This could be a census of 100 years ago. Isn't that right? That's yes. Correct, yeah. yeah. And he is not showing the kind of necessary respect for the value <laughs> of the census. Uh, do you know? John, I won't get to see yours for a hundred years. Yeah. <laughs> is this the nimbyism? You see, David, David has uh, filled his in and it's been collected. Yeah. And, and I, I filled mine in and it's been collected. Uh, Pat? Oh, mine is gone. All has yeah. gone from I the mean, bills I as well. I have no feeling for the, for the, the people who are not counted. Well, I, I do have concerns with regards I'm to the potential to accuracy of yeah. uh, what we begin. And uh, again, it goes back to um, 
you could say that the state isn't great at doing things that it should sort of, as you said, the Romans could do 2,000 years yeah. ago. Yeah. But then you're, you're giving out that beca because they, an attempt has been made to try and figure out what the population of the country is, which is of County Clare will be and where they will be put, it's probably actually based on birth rates. And what the OPR, the Office of, uh, the Office of Planning Regulator, has said that um, the population target, can you imagine, we are, we're only expecting 11,000 extra people, um, 11,637 in the lifetime of the, of the, of the, of the development a, plan. David, that, that's a huge figure. For Clare, I suppose it is, yeah. It is. You yeah. know, for, well, like I don't know what the current population well, is. In around 120. The current population what, 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 is 120. Yeah. And that goes back to the point about Shannon Airport. Yeah. 120,000. And not all of those 120,000 fly, you know. No, but no, anyway, no. The, the OPR, <laughs> I wanted to get that in. The OPR has, has, has identified a problem with the strategic, with, with the plan, in that the council decided to lump in 3,500 as part of the strategic development zone, yeah. i.e., what is sometimes called the new university town being developed on the, on the, near the UL campus. And that won't be done for 10 years, if even if it's done, because that's still not a foregone conclusion. Yeah. So they've pointed out that you've overestimated. And sure, isn't that their job? Well, it is, mm. but I find it a little bit ironic that they pointed this out at this stage, because submissions on the draft plan closed on the March 28th. Yeah. And these are now being considered by the authority, and then you have a chief executive's report is drawn up on That's the submissions right. according to Fiona. Because there's only a draft plan, you see, yeah. Duke. Uh, yeah, uh, and then it says the OPR was set up in uh, 2019 to oversee the planning system following the recommendation of the Mahan Tribunal. Oh, yeah. It is also clearly stated it does not set planning policy, nor does the OPR determine local authority development plans. Right? And then at the April meeting of Clare County Council, it was agreed to invite Niall Cusson, the CEO of the OPR, to address the authority. Now, is this going to be the, ex I won't say the excuse, is this going to be the get out that our councillors have in relation to plans in the draft development plan that they're going to say, oh, no, the OPR has said this? Yeah, but sure, so all, they, we, we have for the last few months been seeing this in the papers being reported that and sure it's only grist to the to, mm. to your mill that Dublin is dictating what must be done yes, in County Clare. But, but and the councillors have been dripping this in themselves at various mm. meetings. So we'll basically say that on this occasion, John, the, the crowd up in Dublin or wherever they're based, we might agree with them for this time. Would that be right? Indeed, and I like the idea, Luke, of uh, the, the uh, overseeing of the overseers. Mm. You know, I yeah. like check and balance, that. and it's a I good like point that, that it, they actually have no. Ultimately, the OP, the Office of Planning Regulator can't dictate; they can only advise. advise. Ultimately, it is up to the council to adopt the plan or not. Pat, just, uh, just hmm. and, the, and the clear record there on page thirty-five, the population of Clare before the pre-famine was two hundred twelve thousand. Two hundred twelve thousand. Yeah. And, 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 and Clare was in Connacht, doesn't it? I was just going to say that there is an attempt by Connacht, um, <laughs> and of course Clare was part of Connacht, but I just wonder, is the Clare Echo endorsing an old territorial <laughs> claim on behalf of that province? Well, John, of course, being a Connacht man. Cuig a Connacht, eh? I very much doubt it. I, I think they're very, they're, they're very much in favour of it. Going back to the development plan, uh, Luke, I suppose at the end of the day, the, the people in Dublin will probably decide anyway on most of it. 
Yeah. We'll see. It, it, it'll give us plenty to talk about in the future. Now, listen, we're, as, as ever, we're short time. Two things before we finish part one. Uh, I see the a contract, a new contract for the li National Library, or the National, the County Library, apparently is going to go be signed uh, next week. That's in, covered in both papers. But there is one in page 12 of the Echo. Um, Green light for pet crematorium despite appeal from distant mystery objector. Oh, yeah, this is a good one, Luke. It, 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 this is This is else. a good one. Um, uh, there's no problem with that. Well, uh, Gordon Deegan, um, who yeah. is a new journalist, or maybe not a new no. journalist, um, but we don't see much of him being reported. We he certainly don't talk about him too much. Yeah, he used to be the champion. Yeah. All right, well, now he's in the Clare Echo anyway, and he has the story. And... Uh, this is in relation to a planning application by uh, a couple, the Kellers, P. Coleman and uh, the Kellers, a family who want to set up a pet crematorium. Clever idea, um, because there are many people who don't know how to, what to do with a deceased pet. Anyway, they wanted to set up one in the, uh, the Gort Road Business Park in Ennis. And, oddly, there was only one objection which came from wait for it uh navin in county meath now we've said before that we live in a republic anybody can object however the mystery <laughs> objector seems not to uh exist it was a person supposedly called don weldon yeah. and when the when, when the keller's consultants looked into don weldon no such person existed except there was a don weldon uh, in this house in That's Navin. D-A-W-N as opposed to D-O-N. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, and interestingly, Miss Weldon is significantly involved, according to this article, in the Paw Prince Pet Crematorium in Trim. What do you, make? What do you make of this? I mean, it's ve what I make of it, uh, firstly, I think um, it should be investigated that somebody is lodging an, a formal uh, objection under an assumed name, if that is the if that is the case, and secondly, because it was thrown out by the way, the planning permission was granted by Umbord Panala. Yeah. Partly, I think, because this was raised, but I don't think Umbord Panala would have ever checked this. But it, it, it held it held up the project for six months. Oh, it did. Yeah. No, Being the only objector, yeah. it would, and yeah. it was forced to so go. Your, your point. So, how, I mean, how, how do you nail? I mean, that there, it's dishonesty because there would be nothing wrong with the other crematoriums putting in an objection. Anybody can put in an objection. That would be thrown out pretty quickly. Um, but it's, it's well, pure dishonesty. They're not thrown out. Mm -hmm. Well, take, for example, Aldi. Any Aldi shop, there was an Aldi down in Killaloo. And, you know, the other shops would have objected yeah. to that. And we've seen in Ennis the other shops. So businesses can object. They're part of the but, planning but, process. Yeah, but you, you, you see so many objections to, let us say, applications for... for licenses in the forestry business. Okay. That's now different. Yeah. I know it's different. but The concept again, is the same. The concept is the same. Hmm. The question of integrity, how do we actually assure that the applicant is... Is genuine. genuine. In, in this case, it has been pointed out, and I'd say yeah. it's a big reason why it was thrown out and planning permission was yeah. granted. Yeah. Anyway, if, if you have um, a, a family that has a pet that has uh, died in... in uh, 
would say, or will will die in the near future. You don't have to go to trim. You can get it uh, taken just, care of in just, a just path. To, yeah. Just to clarify there on the end of it, on Wednesday when contacted by phone at her place of work at Paul Prince Crematorium, Dawn Weldon denied any role in the appeal against the Keeler Pet Crematorium plan. When told that the appeal came from her address in the same <coughs> in the same in, in the name of Don Weldon, Miss Weldon denied any role in the appeal. She said, "No, hundred percent not, definitely not." Miss Weldon added, "I I had nothing to do with the with an appeal. We knew the crematorium was going there, and that is it. They got their planning, didn't they?" That's yeah. the it's, yeah. it's odd though, isn't it? No, it, 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 it is a, a matter that could be spoken about. Now we're, we're gone way, way over time. Pat, uh, music, dead or alive this week? Who are we well, dealing with? Well, the first anyway. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Declan Kluski of The Bachelors, he passed away there in the last couple of weeks. And uh, The Bachelors were a group, I'd say you remember him, John, in the, in the 60s. Well, that was before my time. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't trade you for the world. The I wouldn't trade you for the world. Okay, right. Well, we'll see what trading goes on during halftime here, and we'll be back to you in a few minutes. I wouldn't trade you for the world. Right then, The Bachelors with a little bit of music. Now, if uh, you have anything that you want to do on uh, this Sunday afternoon, the Clare Garden Festival is a treat for gardeners, a great family day out, and that's on at the Ennis Showgrounds, has been on uh, since 11 o'clock this morning, and there's an article in the Clare Echo about it as well, if you want to read about it. Now, Pat, there's one thing I want to mention very briefly that we didn't get to in uh, uh, part one. Uh, and, and you were telling it, this relates to horses. There's a great picture on page one of the champion, uh, horsing around. Uh, fairy tale at Fairy House as Clare owner wins national. So tell us all about it. Yeah, uh, Lord Labrit, the 2020, 2022 Bicebots Irish Connection winner was paraded from the square into the central bell in Kiki on Wednesday evening, uh, accompanied by PJ Casey, one of the men who picked out the horse at sales for five and a half thousand. Owner Pat Blake with the trophy. Uh, you have um, Penny O'Hendon and John McLaughlin. And John McLaughlin was the trainer. I was watching the race on, on Monday evening, and it was on, on last Monday. And um, they're here in, in Kilkee. So the, the owner is, is um, Pat Blake, he's from um, Kilkee. He's a builder in, over in Great Britain. And of course, horse racing is one of his, um, you know, one of his, his interests. And um, he won the, the, the Irish National. And the horse was worth for five and a half thousand. Had you a flutter? I didn't, John. And he was you, David? He was 40, no. he was 40 to one. 40 to one. A, a lot of people in Kilkee, I think, they're winking in Kilkee for the week because they were all, they were all <laughs> the money. And also, uh, look, before we go, um, the English National was was won uh, last, last week as well. And um, an Irish uh, clearman uh, had the horse. Uh, Bought the horse for around 5,000, I think, and trained him, and he won a pint of pint today down in County Cork. And then he sold him on to, he sold him on to, um, to the Mullins, the, the trainer, and he sold him on to the English, the jockey, and... Made a few bob on the way. And made a few bob on the way, I suppose. But uh, the horse won it, the horse won anyway, and um, uh, Hesed, uh, the, uh, Johnny Hesed in, in Queen was the, 
was it the first to have the horse? First to have the horse. Okay, yeah, so, yeah. So, so we're we're claiming a bit of clear credit for the Absolutely. Irish and, and the, and the English national. <laughs> and Cork gets an honourable mention as well. <laughs> yes. Isn't, isn't that I'm, it? I'm on. Okay, well, now we'll say uh, we're going to move, we'll say, from uh, horse racing, and I'm going to uh, go to page 11 of the champion. And uh, just to keep on the sporting theme, uh, Dan Danaher has uh, two articles St. Anne's Basking in Success of Girls Rugby Teams. This is a great story, Pat. Yeah, St. Anne's Kiddo, St. Anne's Basking in Success of Girls Rugby Teams. St. Anne's Community School made history recently by becoming the first team to win the Munster Senior Schools competition thanks to a held down 22-19 in Grammar School. Oh, John, they beat a Cork team. Isn't, that great? <laughs> <laughs> isn't that great? And isn't West Cork. But I, I noticed it was very close, 22-19. When, 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 when coach Grace Kearney set up rugby at St. Anne's in 2015, she dreamed of stealing the school to some silver there. Miss Kearney spent the last three years making a case for the introduction of schools rugby competition for girls, and she felt she should have some, uh, they should have the same opportunity as boys. It was the icing on the cake to have two teams from St. Anne's in the final, and even better to, to bring home the Senior Cup to the school for the first time. Well, they, were, they had the were in the Junior Cup final as well, and they were beaten by an old school mother from Limerick. So uh, it was a great story from, from, from um, Rugby and Killaloo in the school to win the Senior uh, Trophy and Cup and um, uh, take, be, be beaten in the final and the, in the Junior stuff. So. Yeah. And they had other wins along the way. There's a, there's a nice article there if any, any of the, our listeners want to, to go along through the, where they had, other, um, they, you know, they had other victories along the way as well. Yeah, great. And, and, and fair, fair play to them. And, as mm. uh, this radio station is uh, uh, very supportive of uh, young uh, girls, especially uh, boys and girls playing sport, but especially the girls, you know, so the come over. It's becoming very popular. Scar Scarif Scarif on. It's yeah. great. It's great, yeah, great, great, great to see. It's marvellous to see girls taking part in sport. There's a, there's a huge amount of problem between, between, between ladies' football and, and, yeah. and rugby and, yeah. and come over in Ireland. And, and, and you know, they, they deserve to get the, and that the credit. And that's good skill level as well. The skill level is very established, yeah, John. I would just make an argument that I think ladies' football, as in Gaelic football, is a lot more enjoyable to watch than the men's. Yeah, Absolutely. Why is that, Luke? I think you, there's actually more skill mm. in it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And well, it's very yeah. yeah. I, I think that the people, I would go akin back to football in the 80s, where people with skill, you could see it, you could play. Not the sort of nonsense that goes on with blanket defences and all this type of right. rubbish that yeah. goes yeah. on. You know. Beyond the look will, at this will, year, will Roscommon play a very forward-looking game and they're, uh, in the limelight this year. Be, on, be okay. alert. Right, we, 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 we'll be looking after our own crowd first, John. <laughs> but we, 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 we will, we'll, we'll keep an eye out for that. Just, I suppose, there's a, there's a set case and we, 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 we'd like to send our sympathies to the, to the Moran family in Galway. Oh. A young girl um, was playing a camogie game when she was uh, 20 years and won the last and um, she lost her life. Uh, she got injured in the, in the game of camogie, I suppose. And, uh, Very uh, sad. To, to said, Very we, sad. We, had, we had a sad case last week when we, when we had uh, Michael Hines fight yes. getting this girl now this week in the camogie game. So we, 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 we don't know the people involved, but we, we have to have our sympathies. Well, in, in the sporting community, we'll say it doesn't matter who or where, where you are. No, you know, we can matter. express that and may, may, she, may she rest and in peace. The, the, they had a, a lot of sport in the family. Her father played with SMI and he won three. He won three, I think, uh, um, All Ireland Club titles with him. Yeah. 
Yeah, the one that Ireland club back in the nineties. Yeah, and he he was on the father was on the team. So. That's right. And of course, there's songs more big connections. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we 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 send send our sympathies to him anyway. Okay, we, we we do indeed. Now back to East Clare and in uh, page eleven of the Champion and also page six of the Echo, uh, Councillor Burke leaves HSE forum. Uh, Pat Burke, uh, one of our local representatives here, will say from Whitegate has resigned from his role on the HSE Regional Health uh, Forum West and he has been there for the last 11 years. And John, uh, you'll be delighted to know that uh, he has been replaced uh, on the board by one of your favourite politicians. Um, indeed. <laughs> I, 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 look, I'm impartial to the politicians in that regard. I am not biased. Uh, it must have been some observation I made in relation to the candidate. We'll let the listeners uh, decide who the heck is he talking about. Well, I, I think it would be fair to say, John, I think you're very much an admirer. And <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at that. But anyway, but Pat, Pat has stepped down after 11 years. and uh, what, does it, what does that committee do? Well, the health—it's a—it's the health for—it's the HSE Regional Health Forum. I think it's kind of a talking shop. It, um, it says in the champion, four times the, uh, David, that the forum has a total of forty members and covers the city councils of Limerick and Galway, as, as well as the local authorities in Clare, North Tip, Limerick, Galway, Donegal, Leitrim, Mayo, Roscommon, and Sligo. So it covers a big uh, area. It does. Know? It does. It yeah. covers an enormous thing, and it's a way for the politicians to bring certain issues nominally to the HSE's attention. Um, yeah, but but uh, kind of rings David a bit. Uh, echo, there's an echo there of uh, the old health. health there is, boards. and of course yes. we're going to be returning to that. Yes. We're going to be returning to a decentralised HSE. But yeah. the politicians will have known. I think it was John. You're right. This is sort of the sop that yeah. was given to the politicians when they were removed from the yes. regional health yeah. boards. But um, he's. Councillor Burke has been there for 11 years. Parig did a nice piece of investigative journalism here in that he trawled through the minute books of the uh, Health Forum and identified Councillor Burke's contributions. Yes. This is the dangerous thing if you're a politician. These indeed. journalists going to investigate exactly. what you've done and said. Yes, and he said, um, over those 11 years anyway, seven questions. So that isn't even a one question per year. But anyway, it's seven questions were tabled by Councillor Burke, and you can read them there, um, what he was raising. One of the issues he did raise was Raheen Community Hospital. Which we all have an interest which, in. Uh, yeah, and I suppose that is the job of a local councillor. But um, he was missing then, he was missing for a few meetings, and as it says there, as, as you mentioned, or as Pat mentioned, membership requires attendance at six general meetings which take place in the Merlin Park in Galway. So if you're not attending, and one of the reasons he's stepping down is that he hasn't got the time. But of course our councillors spend so much time um, going to various meetings and sitting mm -hmm. on all these boards. And you just wonder, you know, are they interested in these things? Yeah. And um, sometimes if they're not interested, they won't go, I don't think. And then they may as well get out. Yeah. We have four, we have three more people from Clare, Killian Murphy from West Clare and, and, and Bill Chambers. Two female members, and you have Liam Brent, who was a Green County councillor from Inner Okay, well, at least there's representation from the county on it, so we, we won't yeah. argue too much yeah. about yeah. that. And as I said, uh, Pat, Pat is a very busy man, so I'm sure he has plenty more that uh, he, he will be do he will be doing. Now, another man from uh, that neck of the woods, John Bernard Carey of Mount Shannon, 
uh, gets a mention, Fiona has an article, page 11. Mm. East Clare project promotes alternative carbon farming. Yes, do you, do you recall, Luke, but I'd say it was probably two years ago that we interviewed uh, Bernard. He was commencing at the time a, a piece of scientific research into how you could best use rushes. Now, there's no great shortage of rushes uh, around parts of County Clare, which you wet, wet, wet and damp areas. Wet and damp areas. <laughs> yes. And here is a project which Bernard has been developing over the two years, which converts rushes, contract grown now, imagine, contract grown, converts rushes to biomass, and then that's converted through heating to biochar. It's producing a kind of a, what did I call it's it? A, it's a charcoal-like charcoal. substance, which yeah. can also work as a fertilizer. A fertilizer. So we're onto something very interesting. Briquettes, farmers pay to grow the rushes, and it can qualify for carbon credits. So it's a it's a win-win situation. And if he makes a contract with you, Luke, uh, to uh, provide rushes, at the harvesting of the rushes, he'll bring the specially designed machine which he has developed. He will bring it to your farm mm. so that you don't have any... In fact, when you think about it, it's the handiest crop you could imagine growing. You don't have any... Uh, work to do with it at all. As the owner, you get paid for it, and you get carbon, uh, you know, a carbon credit. But so what, that's what, what can we're you? About here. What what can the ordinary Joe soap up the up the mountains and down the valleys? What can they do with this sort of stuff? Oh, well, if fertilizer is one usage, uh, but that's a, an important one. Um, briquettes, I suppose. Briquettes is the second. Yeah, yeah, the burn it instead would of it, turf. Would it pass? Yes. Would it, would it pass him on a line of the Oh, it would, I'd say. To because be, you I'm, see, it's sustainable. This is the thing. Yeah. Um, peat is not sustainable, but sure, rushes, and you have plenty of them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Imagine. Kerry, Clare, and up as far yeah. as Roscommon, and Donegal. There'll be none now in Cork. All the way up the West Coast. Yeah. Yeah. So you I'm, can have all the rugby wins you like. Uh, you, you, see, you, <laughs> you keep your rushes. You, you've plenty of money down in Cork. You do, yeah. but you're, you're, you're yeah. all right down there. We don't need them. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need so them. that's, that's what okay. well, listen, uh, fair, Fiona fair, McGarry is talking about. Excellent. Well, we said fair Good play. Luck. And I'm, I'm sure, John, you'll have him back in for another interview. We will. That's what we actually makes briquettes out of the sawdust. Let's see. I haven't seen them on the market. Have you? Oh, they're on the market, yeah. Have you used them? No, I haven't because I, I have my own trough. But, I, but he, he, he makes them. You'll have to keep an eye out for it. Tarpy, yeah, Jim, tarpy briquettes. Jim brought them down in, Jim brought them down in the, the one down in Radio, the, you know, the several station down there. Really? In Gala. Yeah. 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 Right. Now, we're going to move on uh, because time is against us as always. Uh, page six of The Champion. Uh, the emotional process of packing up the contents of the family home, which are going for auction, and it's the famous Merryman Tavern in Scarf. And uh, Arlene Harris, uh, which is Arlene O'Byrne, right. uh, has written the article, and it basically goes to uh, the entire contents of the Merryman Tavern in Scarf, which is, a, I suppose, a famous uh, hostelry uh, from the 60s and 70s and, I suppose, in, into the 80s that hosted many many uh, an event, many a gig, uh, many a musician, uh, are going under the hammer on April 23rd from 10 a.m. with both an online and on-site auction. And for more details, you can visit... Uh, 
one is it? Sean Sean, Sean Eckert. Sean Eckert uh, auctions. auctions.ie. Yeah. 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 So, now, John, you'd have a few thoughts on, uh, indeed, uh, on uh, contents. <laughs> Upstairs, lads, in the tavern, we had uh, three classrooms, three or four. Uh, and that's where... In what years, John? 1965. And we had our fifth classroom beyond in the Astor Cinema. Now, we, we survived the, the accommodation in the tavern, didn't interfere with us at all. Um, and it was Sean, uh, Arlene's grandfather, who came up with the idea of a secondary school. Okay, now it only survived, that school, that school only survived for a year and a half. Uh, and then I set up the Sacred Heart Secondary School uh, down at the bottom of the town. But we had a period of usage of the tavern. And I can tell you, it may have been hedge school type, but there are many, many people around who are glad to have had the opportunity. John, can I, as you mentioned, head school, it's, a, it's, it's something I'd like to, and within one minute I'm able to, <laughs> we often think of hedge as in a hedge or a ditch or something yeah. and basic, and it is, there is a basic element to hedge, but the word hedge is actually an, a word used in the 18th century to describe anything outside of, of the law. So you can have a hedge doctor, a hedge priest, a hedge solicitor, if he has been disqualified or if he's not recognised. And so the hedge schools of the past were not nothing really to do with hedges per yes, se oh no. and the bushes. Uh, they were to do with the fact that schools weren't officially recognised. Catholic mm. schools weren't officially yeah. recognised. Okay, well, we'll go from hedge schools and go back to the Merriman Tavern. <laughs> and uh, it said... Uh, there's a few bits here uh, where Arlene writes, Finbar Fury credits the tavern as the place where the Furies played their first gig together. Mm. Brendan Grace uh, was a frequent visit visitor. Indeed. Uh, we'll say Makeham and Clancy, the Dubliners, the Botty Bend, Mary Coughlin, Sharon Shannon, Maura O'Connell, Sean Keane. And I think the one person that isn't mentioned that I can see is Christy Moore, who spent many a time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did, did you actually, Luke, did you as a young chap ever have a... Not in the Merryman, no. Did you, Pat? I was in the Merryman, yeah. Uh, for a show, for a concert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was famous. Yeah, it was yeah. the age of the Abbey Theatre, mm -hmm. the Abbey Tavern in, mm -hmm. in Bray, wasn't it? Yeah. I remember being there in the Fences. I'd yeah. say a lot, of people, a lot of people, a lot of people, Pat, um, who will have gone to concerts might like a little memento. Mm. And that now is their opportunity to, yep. and I'd say they'll be able to pick up bits and pieces fairly cheaply. Yeah, well, you never know. And the chances are some bits of it will wind up in bars out, yeah. you know, four, corners, York, four corners just, of the world. Just, yeah, just as a, yeah. there's a, um, a paragraph here, along with the gig, the gig posters, there are photos and letters, newspapers from momentous days in history. Vintage books, old signs, carriage lamps, stone tankers, barrels, sober chairs, three-legged stools, truck pews, and so much more memorabilia, both from the music years and from various periods of history. So. Okay, now, Pat, we're, we're uh, out, out the gap on time. Are we? Uh, well, there's one very quick thing I want to point out. Page uh, 11 in the Champion. Update you on bridge and bypass. Uh, we were told the contracts were signed and everything was ready to go for uh, March, April. Yeah. We're near the end of April, uh, bottom of uh, page 11 there. 
Yeah, we are, but according and to... And I don't see... Oh, yeah. I don't well, we don't see anything happening too much on the ground yes, because I passed most, passed most of the yes. According to the CEO, Pat Dowling, or making he said steady they progress. making steady progress. Yeah, I, so the councillors will get an update. It'll be interesting to see. Yes. But before you go, Luke, there yeah. is the, the public consultation... Which is, what I, which, which is the article I'm, fi I'm finishing on because uh, uh, last week's Echo had, uh, had it. And it's also in the Champion this week. Is it page five? Page five of the Champion. Page five. This is the public consultation. It, it is a public consultation on what we've spoken about and what has been reported in the papers for a long time. The proposed Shannon Greenway, a cycle and walkway route connecting Limerick City to Tomb Graney. Uh, Tomb Graney spelt incorrectly. Um, Scariff in County Clare. Um, and they, they are going to tell us uh, the feasibility and constraints report and the, and the possible route options that they're looking at. There are a number of different locations. Scariff in the Waterways Ireland's office on the 26th of April between 5 and 8 p.m. Killaloo the night after on the 27th in the Spa Hotel. O'Gunnelow in the community centre there on the 28th of April. At Clonlara in the community centre there on the 4th of May, and finally then Kilmurray at the Kilmurray, Kilmurray Lodge. Lodge Hotel. Yeah. That's for the Limerick crowd, they can have a look at it and see, see, like, yeah. see, <laughs> see, see, see what oh, they like. Between 5 and 8 o'clock. Between 5 and 8 o'clock. Okay, yeah. we'll probably report back on that next week. And for more information, you can visit shannongreenway.org. Okay, now, we're done. We're nearly over time. John, many thanks. You're welcome. Uh, David, many thanks, thanks to you. Luke. And I really hope Jim will be back next week because he'll be, he'll be able to keep an eye on you better than what I can. And, uh, no, no, pa no, you, you, you've done well. You're doing a good job. No, no, yeah. no Pat, we had, uh, you said one dead, one alive. So. Yeah, with the, uh, the clear scene of all those, all those uh, opening their campaign against Tipperary today, um, <coughs> we'll finish with the team, the team tuned from the Sunday game. Oh, <laughs> I thought it was going to be Marty Morris's uh, national anthem. <laughs> right. So for the Sunday game, uh, hurling season's back up and running again, and uh, we wish the Clare hurlers all the best. And uh, that's it from us for this week. Goodbye and take care.